On the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to talk about things we want to be sure that our kids know about, things we want our kids to know. Obviously, our main emphasis is going to be on spiritual things, spiritual things we want our kids to know. We think it's an important topic. Stay with us as we begin the virtual Bible study right about now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And this is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, November the 10th, 2022. My name is Greg Gwynn. Joining me on the program tonight is my good friend, Brother Monty Overton. Monty, welcome. Thank you, Greg. It's good to be here. And behind the board, as always, Kyle Barnes. Kyle, yeah, thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah. We want to get you involved in our program tonight. We want to remind you about how to do that. You can send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Monty's going to be watching the email inbox. You can call us at 931-381-4567. Or you can get in the, the live chat room. That's what most people do. And we'll be watching the chat room window uh, while the program is underway tonight. Give yourself a uh, tell us your real name or give yourself a pen name. Let us know where you're listening from uh, and, and join in the conversation as we talk about things I want my kids to know. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of money. There's a lot. To, there's a lot going on in the world. And our kids are bombarded with information about all kinds of things. But there's some things that are more important than any others. Yeah, we live in what's called the information age, I guess you'd say. So there's tons of information out there on just any subject that you might be interested in. But I believe as we study tonight that we're going to find out and discuss that spiritual things are what are the most important, and that's the most valuable information we would like our children to be exposed to. Exactly right, exactly right. Earlier today to our update list, we sent out the topic for discussion tonight and along with some questions. We're we're not going to read all the questions right now. We'll just start with the first one. But before we get to it, We always want to remind our listeners that if you are not on our update mailing list and you'd like to get our weekly updates about topics for discussion on the virtual Bible study, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com, questions at collegeview.com, and just say, add me to the list, and we'll do that. So the first question we put out there, Monty, is how important is parental guidance and instruction? I don't know that we can adequately put a value on the value of parental guidance and instruction. It's so incredibly important and valuable. Uh, Our children are going to learn from us. When we bring them home from the hospital, when they're born, they start learning things from us. And uh, throughout their life, hopefully, we'll be able to give them guidance and instruction on various questions or whatever they're doing in life. We can give them the benefit of our experience, hopefully. And, uh, you know, some places, uh, I've been told the Catholic Church that if you give them your child till he's age six, that they'll have him for life. So that early instruction and guidance that they get is just so incredibly valuable. And we as parents, that's something that we need to take in our hearts and and place great value on that. We've got a limited amount of time and a lot of instruction to give them in that time. And we need to really value that time and put a lot of emphasis in that. I think you're exactly right. James Dobson has said basically the same thing about the, the, the formative years. By the time a child is seven, eight years old, they're... Their approach to life has pretty well been set in. Uh, obviously, they're going to keep learning things, but the, but that window of learning opportunity begins to close down. And so we need to start early, and we need to be very diligent at, at teaching them the things of God. And one of the reasons why is because, first of all, because we love our kids and we want what's best for them. Correct. If, if, I, if, if, if my little two-year-old was out playing in the yard and I saw him wander out into the street, I'd do everything in my power to save him from harm, snatching him out of the danger zone. Physically, we approach our our kids' well-being that way. We need to approach them 
uh, their spiritual well-being, it's even more important that, that we guard them spiritually. Yeah, no, as far as physically goes, if we don't get a lesson right or whatever, it's going to be an inconvenience, maybe a danger to them. But physically, things only last a short time. But ultimately, the spiritual instruction that we need to be giving them, the guidance we need to give in that direction is an eternal guidance. I mean, whatever we give, the quality of the guidance we give them at that point determines in a great extent their, their outcome for eternity. Yeah. A uh, couple of verses in the Bible about this idea of parental responsibility. I think our listeners will remember very well Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's not just advice. That's a command. Yeah. You know, so we talk a lot about various commands that we need to obey in order to please God. For instance, we could, we could say, you know, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's a command. Mm-hmm. And we tell people, you got to do that. I mean, that's a direct command from God. You got to do it or else this statement, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is also a command. And so it, I can't as a father say, well, I'm just, that's just not my strong suit. I'm, I'm going to probably lay off on that. Mm-hmm. I can't choose that. Uh, you know, I, I have a command as a parent and a responsibility and accountability. I've always thought it was very impressive in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of First Samuel, chapter 3. We, we remember that the, the, the judge Eli had apparently done a terrible job with his sons. And there's some indication about just how corrupt his sons were. But we remember that. The very first time that God sent a message through Samuel, who was still just a boy serving under Eli, uh, the Lord spoke to Samuel, a kind of an interesting uh, development of, of the details of that story. It, 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 Samuel kept hearing a voice in the night. And he thought it was Eli calling him, and Eli finally figured out it's God calling him. And in First uh, Samuel chapter 3, verse 11, the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all the things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not." And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. And so uh, Eli, uh, all indications, Monty, is that Eli himself was a, a, a righteous man or, or uh, he wasn't righteous in the matter of raising his children. But he, his personal conduct in, in regards to his personal morality, mm-hmm. apparently he was a decent person. But he had failed. And notice, he knows what his sons are doing. He knows the iniquity of his son, and he's done nothing to stop it. He has restrained them not. And so God said, I'm going to hold him accountable. I'm going to judge him. You know, and Eli could have put a stop to it because actually the things that they were doing under the law of Moses carried a death sentence with it. Yeah. So, I mean, he could have restrained. He could have cleaned the priesthood up, so to speak, but he wouldn't do it because it was his sons. And so, uh, you know, he he paid a high price for that. Yeah. Uh, Something that impressed me is in, in Joshua chapter 24, uh, Joshua told the people to choose. Uh, I just lost the verse. Let's see. 15, isn't it? Yeah, 15. Uh, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, where the gods of your fathers served, or the gods on the other side of the river, the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yeah. Joshua had made a commitment that the people that lived in his house that was under his headship, was going to be servants of God. And we can see even that that carried over into the whole uh, nation of Israel because in verse 31 it says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for them. So we see that Joshua made a commitment to serve the Lord. He made a commitment to make sure his children and his household understood what God wanted to do to the extent that they did understand and serve God. And that commitment carried over to his duties as a leader of God's people, that they were going to all know and understand God's word and follow God, <clears throat> and, and, they th- and they did do that. So we can see right there a really good example of that. A lot of the, the notable characters we see in the Old Testament, it seems like even like King David, uh, 
he was a really good king, but he was a really sorry parent because yeah. he had lots of troubles in his household. Yeah. It seemed like they, and maybe Eli even, they focused too much on their duties as a priest or king and not enough on their household. And to me, the household, your children, would be the greater responsibility. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, so what about this money, though? What about a parent and their child doesn't do well? Is it always the parent's fault? In other words, are, are, if, if a parent has a child who's not faithful, are they automatically doomed to the condemnation of Eli? I don't think so. <clears throat> Eli wasn't doomed, and his condemnation wasn't that he didn't teach his children well. Is that when they fell away, he didn't do anything about yeah. it. Uh, I know of people whose children have fallen away, and when they talked to them and the children were defending a, an an unfaithful activity. The parents of the Bible says this, and I know this one person said, I know what your scriptures say. You've taught them to me all my life. And so that particular individual knew what the Bible said and admitted that their parents had taught them what the Bible said. So it wasn't the parents' fault at that point, I don't believe. Uh, I believe it was the people that child had got into in the workplace and school college and whatnot that they chose to hang out with led them away and they was willing to be led away but it wasn't that they weren't taught yeah you know uh we we have to understand that our children will ultimately be free that they are free moral agents and they will ultimately be accountable for their own decisions but we got to give them the basis to make a decision Mm -hmm. now they're going to they may grow up and reject the instruction that we give them but we we have a duty to train them while Mm -hmm. we have the opportunity Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's a proverb, it's, it, and it's generally true. Yeah. It's not always true. The proverbs uh, are not uh, ironclad truths. They are proverbial truths, and so they're generally true statements. Uh, I, I, I have actually even written in the margin of my uh, Bible here, Monty, on that statement, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. In the margin, I have put... Proverbs eighteen twenty two. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and, obta- and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Well, usually, but not always. Yeah. I use that as an illustration of the fact. You know, some fellows have, have taken a wife and it turned out to be a bad thing. Yeah. Usually it's a very good thing, a blessing from God. The same thing's true with training your children. But the, the thing we're stressing here, which we, we believe is so ultimately important, is if they're going to know it, then it's on us to teach it to them. Uh, Dwight Michelle says, uh, puts down Proverbs nineteen eighteen: Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. We need to teach and discipline them, especially in their young age. And I think you're right, Dwight, and that, and that speaks to that window of opportunity. Mm-hmm. You're not always going to have it this It says while there is hope. Yeah, it yeah. didn't say any time because yeah. hope goes on forever. But it says while there's hope, while they're young and impressionable, we need to be training them and properly training them and discipline them. Yeah. Uh, Dwight had sent in an email also. He said parental guidance and instruction is very important. We as fathers are commanded to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We want and have the obligation to give our children the right and godly information. Kent in Georgia says parental guidance is crucially important. And he references Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 as well. Okay. So. The first observation I hope everybody agrees with, as parents, we have a a really serious obligation and responsibility to teach and train our children. Now, let's talk about some of the things that we would want them to know. So when we come back from this break, okay, we've got to teach them. It's obviously an important obligation. What are the things that are on your to-do list when it comes to teaching your children? We'll look to that just as soon as we get back from this break. Stay with us. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Here's a quick thought. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Philippians 2, verse 3. Here's a challenge for today. Put others before self. Determined to take the position of a servant. It's what Jesus did and what he calls us to do. That's true love. Think about it. Seize the day. 
Here's some quotes worth pondering. You can't plow a field by turning it over in your mind. A child who's not given the opportunity to work will soon end up handicapped. Losing yourself in service to others allows you to find your purpose. The difference between perseverance and obstinacy is that one comes from a strong will and the other from a strong won't. A fair reputation is a plant, delicate in its nature and by no means rapid in its growth. It will not shoot up in a night like the gourd of the prophet, but like that gourd, it may perish in a night. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We're talking about some things I want my kids to know. And so, with that theme in mind, I found a list that an unknown author, I don't know who authored these points, an author had, po- had, had constructed seven things I want my kids to know. I think it's a good starting point. I think there are probably more things we want to add to the list, Monty. But he starts, he starts out by saying, I want my children to know that you are made in the image of God. Uh, I, I think what I, I think my, my takeaway from that is to teach kids that there's a spiritual side to life. That mm-hmm. it, it's, this is it's just not here and now that, that, we, we, that we're, we have an eternal soul. That's what makes us in the image of God. Yeah. Not, not that God has a hand with five fingers or two eyes and a nose and a mouth on his face. Uh, sometimes the Bible talks about the finger of God or the ear of God. But I think that's probably accommodative. We don't know what God looks like, but we, we are like him in the sense that we have an eternal soul. And I think that's really important that our kids understand that because all too often we get wrapped up in the here and now and we're living for the moment, and that's really very short-sighted because we need to be approaching the things we do in life with the ad- with the idea is that this is just a temporary place, sort of a proving ground, so to speak, and we're an eternal being, and what we do here affects where we spend our eternity, and the fact that in the image of God we are that eternal being, eternity's forever. Uh, you know, t- to me that's really, in one some ways, maybe the scariest part about living poorly and going to hell. Uh, as a as a man, I think we think we're big tough guys, and uh, we can we have great endurance. We can endure a lot of pain and hardship if we needed to. And I kind of think that uh, I would have the attitude that if I thought hell was you know only going to last for ten years, I could go ahead and do what I want I, to I, on I this could earth. Grit, I, I could grit my teeth and endure for long. ten years. Yeah. Or if I knew it was a hundred years, or even a thousand years, that's a long time. But if I knew there's going to be end to it. What I want to do now might be worth it, and I'd go ahead and do what I want to because then it would be over with. But knowing that if if I lasted, if I was in hell and when the thousand-year mark hit there, I still got forever to go beyond that. It ain't gonna. It's never ever gonna get any better. And our children need to understand that eternity, whether it's if we get that home in heaven, the wonderful bliss of heaven, it's forever. And a thousand years, it's still we got forever to go in that bliss. Or if we're in hell and We've got for air. It's not ever going to change. I think you're exactly right. You know, when we're when we're in a tough circumstance, when we're hurting or something is not the way we want it to be in our lives, if we can see a, a light at the end of the mm-hmm. tunnel, so to speak, you know, so I'm, I'm going to have to deal with this for another six months or another year. But we can see a glimmer of hope that it, it'll be better. In the future. But hell won't be that way. Mm-hmm. In hell, there will be no light at the end of the and those are the kind of things we need to convey to our kids yeah. that life here is not just the, the the end of things, that there's a life beyond the grave, that there is an eternity. And, and we're made in the image of God in the sense that we have an eternal soul. There's there's something else implied in that money, and that is we need to teach them the very concept of God, that there mm-hmm. is a God in yeah. heaven. You know, this world that we live in is becoming and, and and our country and our 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 immediate culture is becoming increasingly more secular. Yeah, you know, completely. God is completely out of mind and thought, and they don't even acknowledge that, that there is a God. The the 
The statistics say that the number of of atheists and agnostics is increasing fairly dramatically uh, in our culture, and and our kids are going to be exposed to that sort of thing. And there actually will be people, money, who will try to tear down their faith. Yeah. If we uh, and so we got to really fortify their faith. We got to. I think we as uh, as parents and teachers need to spend a lot of time on so-called evidences. Yes. Uh, that you know, while our kids are young. Knowing that they're going to face skeptics and doubters who will try to tear them down, tear their faith away, we need to really work on building their faith up that there is a God in heaven uh, and that he created all these things. And that this this silly theory of evolution is not only not only does it lack scientific basis, it lacks common sense basis. It's just wrong. And we've got to get our kids convinced early on that the real Positive proof is for an intelligent creator, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, God. You know, you ought to be able, we've made this point before, Bonnie, you ought to be able to look at creation and say, man, this didn't happen by accident. There there must be some superior force in the universe that created all this because this couldn't have happened on its own. The fact that it could happen on its own is really sort of stupid. Yeah. Thankfully, that's that supreme being has revealed himself to mm-hmm. us. You know, we could if, if if we didn't have the Bible and if we didn't have any revelation from God, we could look at creation and say this couldn't have happened by chance. But I don't know how it happened. Yeah. But thankfully, he has revealed himself to us. And so we can see his power in creation. And he tells us about himself in the Bible. And we've got to convey that information to our kids. It's very it's very true. We've got we've got to make sure our children understand that. That there is a God in heaven and that he's an eternal being and he's created us the same way. And really what we need to understand is because God is the creator, everything belongs to him and we belong to him. And therefore we're responsible to to satisfy his demands. We're not the one in a position to make demands on God, but he's the one that is in a position to make demands on us. He's the ruler. And so when we think about that being made in the image of God... Uh, we see even Jesus subjected himself to the will of the Father, and Jesus was co-equal with God, the Bible teaches us, but yet he was in subjection. So we need to understand our place in that that, and our relationship to God and make sure our children understand that. You know, sadly, we're, we're hearing more and more of young people who, for want of a better expression, I'm just, and I think our listeners know what I mean by this, raised in the church. That is, they, mm-hmm. they were brought to church, they attended Bible classes, they, they listened to sermons. But we're sadly hearing an, an increasing report of these kids who are now leaving, abandoning their faith, who are claiming that, that now they don't believe in God mm-hmm. anymore. Well, that's that's the force, the power of this secular world that we are raising our kids in and that being the case as parents we we got to be on we got to be on our game we got to be doing the top-notch job of instilling faith in, in our kids you know and to do that is, is going to mean that we're going to have to put aside things that we want to do uh, whatever our favorite pastime recreational activities are we've got to be willing to put that aside in order to grant to gain that information we need to be conveying to our children for ourselves. And then to be conveying that information to them, to be teaching them that. And it's not going to be just like a set-down classroom thing, although some of it may be. But as we go through, I don't remember what it was right now, but something one of my grandchildren asked me about the other day. And I was able to explain to her something I believe it had to do with Noah's flood and how some of that would have worked because of a question they asked. So, But we've got to have that knowledge available and firmly and apparently in our mind and recognize the opportunities we have when able we can make a Bible lesson, a, a spiritual application to some of these things that they're going to ask us about. I think that's right. Uh, and, and of course, we've got, we got to emphasize that one of the, the principal ways we teach our kids is by example. That's right. Uh, and I, I remember a, a number of years ago, a really good guy in the church, his son was uh, playing little league baseball, a good baseball player. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, well, they got to the playoffs, and and the, the the big game in the playoffs was on Sunday during worship time, and uh, so they missed church to go to the ball game. <clears throat> and I approached him later and said, you know, I don't know if you realize this or not, but what you just taught your kid was that sometimes 
there are things more important than God. Not always. Usually, usually God, usually God is most important. But sometimes there are things more important than God. And he says, you know, I never thought about it that way. He says, it won't happen again. Yeah. And so he had a good tender heart about it. But we're teaching our kids. And if you want to teach your kids that there's a God in heaven, that that he deserves and really demands to be top priority in our lives, and that there's a judgment coming and an eternity that will follow, and we're made in the image of God. That's what that first point was in this in this fellow's listing. That, that that's a big job. That's an awesome responsibility, and and we got to get it. We got we got to drive that point home. Well, another way we're going to do that, not only in our recreational pursuits, but also in our work. Uh, if we take a job that requires us to miss church a lot or, or other things that we need to be doing service to the Lord, then what we're teaching our kid is that money is more important than God. And uh, you know, and that at some point there's a price that if you give me enough, I won't come to church. Yeah. And none of us, want, I don't think initially would want to look at it that way. Oh, no, you couldn't pay me not to come to church. Well, somebody did last Sunday because you was at work instead of being here or on Wednesday night or during the nights of a meeting, a gospel meeting or whatever. Uh, and so we need to make sure what we're teaching our children that way, that there's a God in heaven and we've got to answer to him. And God has said to put him first. Mm-hmm. And that means everything else is somewhere else down the line. Yeah, I think you're right. Kyle, thoughts? No, no, that's it. We okay. got pretty covered. Let's look at let's look at what Kent said. Kent said, "We are procreated in the image of God. Such implies the reality and existence of God." Genesis one twenty six and twenty seven. Note the emphasis of God creating male and female. Evolution is false, as well as transgenderism. Okay, and and Dwight in Iowa says Genesis one twenty seven states that God created man in His own image. In the image of God is not saying God is flesh as we are, but that God created us with a spirit as He is. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Too bad that parents fail here with teaching their kids they can be whatever they feel they want to be instead of what God created them to be. All right, I think those are good options. Dwight Michelle also put in the chat room, says, we do the same thing when we teach our kids that having friends and being popular is more important than God. Yeah. And there's some people that's way being a popular, being popular, a really important person in school or really popular on the job or whatever is that's they're all important and they're consuming passion in life. And if we're that way, then we're setting a bad example for our children. I think you're exactly right. Okay. Let's start into this next one. We may not get it done before our break, but the second thing, again, we're following a list that some unknown author had composed. I thought it was pretty good. However, I would say, Monty, things I want my kid to know, I, I, I want them to know everything in the Bible. Yeah. I want them to know the whole Bible. And so I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, I have a little bit of reservation about saying, well, he's got seven things here. If I, Well, there's more than seven things. There's a, there's a list as long as your arm of things. But some things obviously overlap, and, and mm-hmm. I understand the idea of trying to compose a, a, a checklist, so to speak. But uh, honestly speaking, if it's in the Bible, we want them to know it. Yeah, and his second point here is that the Bible is the Word of God. And we want our children to know and understand that the Bible is the Word of God. And as such, we're going to lead them also in our example. They should see us studying the Word of God. We should show an, uh, a desire and importance in our life that and that this is a really important thing. I mean, if we're all the time just browsing stuff on the Internet or reading the newspaper or whatever our favorite type of books are, and we're not, they don't see us studying the Bible, then we're showing them that there's that's not a big important thing. The Bible being the Word of God, that should be an ex- extremely important thing in our life, that we want to apply ourselves to knowing what what the Bible says. And we're not going to learn that by turning on a tape recorder at, at night and going to sleep. I've done a science fair project years ago in school about sleep learning. Yeah. And, yeah, it does work, but that's not that can't be the limit of it. That's really putting it in second place. When I can't do nothing else, I'm passed out of sleep. Then I'll listen about God's Word. No, God's Word needs to be something I'm applying. I, I tried to learn a foreign language but with sleep learning didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> but but like you say, they our kids need to see us devoting mm-hmm. time to the Bible because it is the word of God. It's the message from God. Here again, Monty, is an area of what we would call the study of evidences. So this secular world we live in is going to be trying to tell our kids the Bible is just a compilation of old 
fairy tales, mm-hmm. folklore, myths, and legends. It's not real. The things that it talks about are just made up. Just some guys just wrote down some interesting thoughts they had in their minds. And that business that it, 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 where it talks about people performing miracles, oh, that's that's not real. And there's a natural explanation that explains away all of that stuff. And so don't don't be don't be putting a whole lot of stock or confidence in the Bible. That's what the world is going to be telling mm-hmm. our kids. And so again, we want them to know that the Bible is the Word of God, and there's strong proof that the message contained in those pages is directly from God. Mm-hmm. It's not created by man, and and we we need to teach them that and and and, and get them to develop that kind of confidence and devotion to the word of god Mm -hmm. now having said that the other the 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 step beyond that is if it is from god and it is then it has commands in it that we have to obey and so i want them to know what those commands in the word of god are yeah we need to show them that importance that because it's the word of god and there's expectations from god written down in their force we need to know what god wants i mean when when we think about obeying the laws of the land, we do it sometimes. They may be certain laws we don't like, but we'll obey them because there's consequences, ill consequences for not obeying them. Well, it's the same way with God. That's the example. Something we learn from God is that there's bad consequences for being disobedient to him. And so if I, don't want, to, if I want to avoid those bad consequences, then I've got to study his word and find out what his will is for me so that I can avoid the bad consequences and get the good rewards that he's promised for being obedient to him. Exactly right. <clears throat> Kent says the Bible is the totally inspired word of God. It must be our only source of authority, 2 Timothy three fifteen through 17. I think that's really right. It can't and emphasize, you know, we, we talk about verbal plenary inspiration of the Bible. The Bible, in its original languages, we understand we're dealing mm-hmm. with English translations of the Bible, but in its original languages, every word that was in there was in there because God wanted to be in there. It's it, uh, so it's word for word, fully inspired from by God, and and you know it's it's not that God just gave some broad ideas and let men flesh them out in the, in their own words. Every word of our Bible is there because God wanted it to be there, and we need to we need to instill that kind of confidence in our kids. Uh, Dwight says the Bible is the Word of God. John seventeen seventeen teaches us to sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. It is only through God's word that we can be made free from sin. John eight thirty two, first or, uh, John one one says that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. Of course, that's a uh, speaking of Jesus Himself mm-hmm. and di- identifying Him as the Word. All right. Uh, Dwight and Michelle said in talking about this that she, we should read and study God's word, and our kids need to see this. What's important to us is a lot of times important to them, yeah. and our two, our children do tend to imitate us and, and do the things we do, say things we say say it the way we said it, uh, they tend to share a lot of our same interest. And if we can ex- instill that interest in God's word to them, that's what we need to do. Good. All right. We're going to grab another break. When we come back, the next point in this list of seven things I want my kids to know, there's only one church. I thought it was interesting that that, that was included in this mm-hmm. list, but I think it's important. I think we'll, we'll, we'll kind of uh, expand upon that, but it is an important thing. When we come back, we'll keep talking about things I want my kids to know. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study continues after these breaks. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. I'm Joel Gwynn, and a member of the College View Church of Christ with something for you to think about regarding our children. A survey published in the periodical Pulpit Helps analyzed the question of faithfulness among the children of churchgoers. The results are interesting. It was found that faithfulness in kids was not a function of the size of the congregation, the number of classes and special programs sponsored by the church, the effectiveness of the youth minister. Instead, here is what was discovered. In cases where both parents were faithful and active, 93% of their children remained faithful to their religious training. When only one parent was faithful and active, the percentage dropped to 73%. When parents were only reasonably active, attended services, but that's all, their kids remained faithful only 53% of the time. And finally, when the parents attended the assemblies only infrequently, the children's endured at a mere 6% level. The results of this survey are interesting, but not terribly surprising. 
We've known all along that people, including children, often learn more from example than from the words they hear. That's why Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5:16. Parents, have you considered applying Jesus' concept right there in your own home? Are you letting your light shine before your kids? Survey results. Our own common sense and the Bible tells us that this is the only hope that we have to bring them up fearing God. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. One of the great blessings that God has for his children is the fellowship that they can enjoy as members of a local congregation. We believe that this involvement in a local church is an important part of God's plan for our spiritual well-being. In this special spiritual family, there are things that are expected of all members. Here are some of the things that will help bring praise and glory to God as we work together in the local church. First, each of us must realize that the example we set in the local community has a great potential for good or evil. As a member of a local church, it is expected that you will live a pure, moral life, one that others will be able to observe and imitate. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. The world accepts and even encourages immoral activities, but as Christians, we are not to be of this world. 1 John 2, beginning verse 15. Secondly, we believe that it is the responsibility of each member to seek opportunities to serve their brothers and sisters. Too many view the church from a selfish perspective and seem interested only in what might be done for them. Instead, we understand that greatness in the Lord's kingdom comes from providing humble service. Matthew 23, beginning verse 11. We are to, quote, rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. Romans 12, verse 15. There will be many occasions to share in one another's joys and with tenderness and sympathy to bear one another's burdens. As a member of a local body, your help is needed in these important ways. Third, unfortunately, there will be times when a brother or sister may slip back and begin to engage in sinful activities. You will be expected to exercise a care and watchfulness for your brethren in these matters. Hebrews 3, verse 13. There are times when we need to faithfully warn, rebuke, and admonish a fellow member. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Galatians 6, verse 1. This may even lead to the unpleasant task of withdrawing from an unruly Christian. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 14. Yet your full support is necessary and expected when such is necessary. Fourth, we have a primary mission to spread the gospel to the lost people of this world, Mark 16, verse 15. There are always many in the immediate community and millions worldwide who need to hear about salvation in Christ Jesus. We need the participation of every member to address this urgent need. You can and must do your part to teach the lost souls within your circle of influence. Fifth, it should go without saying that every member of a local congregation should attend every assembly of the saints, Hebrews 10:25. You should make every effort to attend each of the scheduled services. Personal schedules should be rearranged, activities dropped or modified, and plans made that will allow you to be present at all the worship assemblies and Bible studies. School functions, recreational or sporting events, family get-togethers, or things of this sort do not serve as legitimate excuses for missing any service. Sickness and other unavoidable circumstances may occasionally arise, but the normal practice of every saint should be to attend every assembly. Sixth, the only means authorized by God for the financing of the work of the local church is by means of the free will offering of the members. Such a contribution is collected each Lord's Day, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. You are expected to give regularly and liberally, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. If travels or other matters cause you to be away from the congregation on the Lord's Day, it certainly seems reasonable that provisions would be made to leave your contribution in advance or make up your offering when you return. The ongoing work of the local church depends upon your consistent giving. And finally, every member of a local body of believers has a personal responsibility to maintain peace with and among their fellow members, Ephesians 4, beginning verse 1. We acknowledge that situations arise wherein feelings may become hurt or bad judgments may lead to disagreements. It is the duty of each Christian to seek immediate resolution of these matters, Matthew 5:24 and Matthew 18, beginning verse 15. Our rule is this, in matters of faith or doctrine, we can make no compromise, Jude verse 3. However, in matters of judgment or opinion, we should be humbly submissive, 1 Peter 5 verse 6. Troublemakers, gossips, and those who promote strife cannot be tolerated, Proverbs 6, beginning verse 16. So, your conscientious effort to fulfill your personal responsibilities in the local congregation are critical to our effectiveness and to bring glory to the Lord. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. This is the virtual Bible study. We continue to talk about things we want our kids to know. But before we go further, let us remind you that the virtual Bible study is brought to you this time each week by the College Future to Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by going to our website, collegeview.com. Lots of, lots of information there about us. Lots of teaching resources that are there. Uh, we've got Bible classes, uh, archives of Bible classes, archives of sermons. Uh, Kyle, we've got a lot of information there on the 
collegeview.com. Yeah, a lot of things, a lot of studies, a lot of previous uh, playlists from old studies we've done. We have covered uh, the book of Acts. We've gone through Genesis before. A lot of a lot of studies on that we've gone through, and you can just add your Bible study, topical a lot of studies, a lot of stuff. Yeah, uh, and, and so we always try to remind folks there's a separate YouTube channel for our sermons and Bible studies. It's College View live stream on YouTube. So there's a lot of resources there, and you can access them through our website at collegeview.com. And then, of course, this website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, we've got all going on 18 years' worth of weekly programs. Uh, and so almost, uh, well, I can't even imagine uh, all the topics. Uh, if you're studying a topic and you want some additional uh, discussion of it, you can probably find it on the virtual Bible study yeah, in the archives. And if you can't find it there, let us know and we'll do one for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah there, there you go. That's right. All right. We're continuing to talk about things we want our kids to know. We talked about, and this is from a list of an author that we don't know who he is. He didn't sign his name, but he, he said he wants his kids to know you're made in the image of God. The Bible is the word of God. We're going to have to go quickly here, Bonnie. There's only one church. He said he wants his kids to know there's only one church. Well, I think that's very important because... Uh, it can be very confusing in the world today because you drive down the highway as you go through Columbia and various places you go throughout the country, and you see different denominations of different churches all over the place. There's a, a gazillion different kinds. I don't know. There's thousands of different kinds of churches. Well, that's very confusion. The Bible tells us that God's not the author of confusion, so we need to express and instill in our children's mind uh, that there's only one ch- true church that, that God and Jesus established and that, that the Bible contains the information to help us identify what that church is. Uh, Dwight Michelle said, we send our kids to school and there is one standard to a ruler. They understand this concept. We need to teach them the importance of the single church and God's standard, which is his word. I get it. I think that's exactly right. In his email, Dwight said, uh, references 1 Corinthians 12, Verse 12, and then also verses 27 through 28. For even as the body is one, yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so is Christ. Verse 27 says we are the we are Christ's body, individual members of it. Verse 28 mentions the church being singular. Ephesians 4, verses 4 and 5 says there's one body and one faith. We need to teach our children that the one that, that body is the church. Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23. To not teach them about the one church opens the door for them to believe that one church is as good as another. That's the key right there, I think. We need to let our kids know that it does make a matter. It does make a difference mm-hmm. what you believe. It does matter what you believe. That it, the the religious world that is all around us is will try to convince our kids what you believe doesn't matter. Believe whatever you want. And, and we need our kids to know that... God is a God of details. He always has been. And therefore, we need to do God's things in God's ways. There is a right way, and, there's a, and there are many wrong ways, but there is a right way. And it's not just a free-for-all, do-your-own-thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we'll be, going, we'll, be, we'll be swimming against the current there, Monty, when we're trying to teach our kids that, but we've got to do it. You know, we understand that in secular things. Uh, it, in April of every year, it comes time to pay our income taxes. And uh, we don't just put our check to the IRS in the mail and just slobber any old address on it and throw it in the mailbox with or without a stamp or whatever and hope it gets there. Uh, If it doesn't get there, the IRS comes after us for that money, and we're going to say, well, I put it in the mail. Where would you send it to? I don't know. I just put an address on it. Well, that ain't going to work. They're going to expect you to be more. They expect it in detail to be sent to them, the check to be made out right, and the the proper numbers and a whole nine yards on it as far as that goes on it, in order to be satisfactory to them and so that our obligation is met. All right. God is far more important than the IRS, and he's given us the information to know what to do to worship him and to be where to be acceptable to him in a way that pleases him, and that information is contained in the Bible, so we need to apply ourselves to learning it and teaching our kids so they can learn that there's one proper way to serve God and what it is. Yeah. Kent says there's one, only one church. He gives a number of verses that we most of we've already referenced, but he goes on to say this. This necessitates that we diligently teach our children what the church is as well as what the church is not. We also need to instruct our children regarding the nature and importance of both the universal and local extensions of the New Testament church. While the Lord adds us 
to the universal extension of the church and becoming Christians. It's our responsibility to identify with the local New Testament church after obeying the gospel. And he references the example of, of Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9, verse 26. All right. Again, I think that's really important. The way that this list is worded maybe seems narrow, but when you think about the points he's making, I think each one of points is a general point yeah. that has a whole lot of other ways and applications to it than other than just this one little short phrase on each one. Let's jump to the let's jump to the next one. The next one is there are wicked people in the world. I want my kids to know there are wicked people in the world. You know, ideally, when, as we raise our children uh, while they're young and innocent, we're able to shelter them from a lot of bad things. But at some point, in the, they're going to have to come to the conclusion or the understanding that there's wicked people in the world. Everybody's not nice like mom and daddy and the people that we go to church with, that there's some bad people that they're going to have to try to avoid as much as they can and what, where they can't the proper way to deal with them. And that's just something they're going to have to learn. There's wicked people in the world. Everybody's not nice. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, that they have to be careful about their associations mm-hmm. in this world. Uh, one of the one, and, and again, I, I would broaden this out. He says, I want my kids to know there are wicked people in the world. I would want, and I think included under that umbrella is the idea, you've got to be careful who you choose as your friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, as parents, one of the things we've got to be very alert to is the, the the peer pressure that's being exerted on our kids. And if our kids are around others, th- there will be a pressure for them to conform mm-hmm. and be like that. That being the case, then we need to be very selective about who we allow our kids to have as their closest friends and 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 associates. Uh, I, I I you know I, I think maybe that's an area where a lot of Christian parents are letting down. They're not being careful enough about that uh, to give their kids that kind of guidance or or maybe even mandating that kind of yeah. observance. You know, parents need to be perceptive, and quite often, hopefully, with our extra age and insight that we have that our children don't have yet, we can see character flaws in people that maybe our children won't recognize, and we may have to... Be specific. You're not going to hang around with this person because of the way they act or behave. And so are we going to have to also teach them what to look for in people, to be desirable people to hang out with, or what to look for that's caused somebody to be undesirable. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, again, not only – so what we hope, Monty, is that we would bring them up to a – to a point where they're able to make good decisions mm-hmm. on their own about this sort of thing. Now, now, maybe early on we're making the calls, well, but what we're hoping is that we can get them to mature to where they can make good calls in choosing yeah. the people that they are around. So that's a really important thing. Evil communications corrupt good morals, 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-three. It's always been true, and it's still true, and there's a lot of bad people in the world. And in fact... There's fewer and fewer good people for our kids to be around. And, and so teach them to avoid the wicked people. Teach them to prefer God's people and help them in making that distinction and and provide them opportunities to be around good people who will influence them in a positive way. You know, that evil communications, corrupt good morals has been true from the beginning of time. Yeah. Adam and Eve chose to hang out with the devil in the form of a serpent. Yeah. They, they, instead of throwing rocks at him and running the snake off, they hung out with him and, and listened to what he had to say and let him be a bad influence on them. Yeah. And so we're not any smarter than Adam and Eve. Uh, we're not any. We're not superior to them. We're just like them. We're descendants of them, and we make the same mistakes when we hang around with bad influences. It causes us to do bad things. I think you're right, Kyle. Any thoughts? Which, not that I'm recommending turning your television, but it just takes a little bit to. See what's on the world. See what the world is putting out to see that we need to make sure that we're really encouraging our children, the, our young people, to associate with what we would call good people, good uh, Christian friends, and that we are the parents of the church are raising their children to be good friends to Christians. Yeah. So it's just we need to create a nurture 
a society that our children can thrive in. I so. think you're right. And it, it, we can't have our heads stuck in the sand yeah. and, and imagine that there are no dangers from bad people. There are plenty of dangers from really bad people, and yeah. we got to be aware of that. We're going to grab our last break. When we come back, we're going quickly to the top of the hour. Stay with us on the virtual Bible study. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hi, I'm Jeremy Fralix. I'm a member of uh, College of Church of Christ here in Columbia, Tennessee, and I have a few words to say. Occasionally, we hear parents who say that they don't want to force religion on their children. These misguided folks think they're doing their kids a favor by letting them decide for themselves. They're afraid that there will be some resentment in their children later if religion had been crammed down their throats. If we may be absolutely blunt in response, that is one of the most ridiculous ideas anyone ever suggested. We force many things on our children. We insist that they bathe, brush their teeth, change their clothes, etc. We cram education down their throats by making them attend school regularly. We demand that they do their homework. We force them to eat good food, get adequate rest, and do other things that are important to their health and development. We do all of this because we know it is in their best interest, and we do it even when the kids don't like it. Why is it this such a common-sense approach is neglected by parents who are determined to let the kids decide for themselves when it comes to religion? Dr. James Dobson writes, There's a critical period when certain kinds of instruction are easier in the life of children. There's a brief period during childhood when youngsters are vulnerable to religious training. Their concepts of right and wrong are formulated during this time, and their views of God begin to solidify. The opportunity of that period must be seized when it is available. The absence or misapplication of instruction through that prime time period may place a severe limitation on the depths of the child's later devotion to God. When parents withhold indoctrination from their small children, allowing them to decide for themselves, the adults are almost guaranteeing that the youngsters will decide in the negative. God's word has always taught us the truth on the subject. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22.6. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. According to a new study, more than half of church leaders believe that comfort, 67%, control or security, 56%, money, 55%, and approval, 51%, are the idols that have significant influence on their congregations. They also cited success, 49%, social influence, 46%, political power, 39%, and romantic love, 32%. That information is via Lifeway Research. The Word of God says in Jeremiah 25, verse 6, Go not after other gods to serve them and to worship them, and provoke me not to anger with the works of your hands. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. Now, we're back on the virtual Bible study, going to the top of the hour, talking about things we want our kids to know. We've got to go quick, money. The next one on the list that this guy composed was God Hates Divorce. You know, the Bible specifically says that, that God hates divorce. Malachi 2, verse 16. And God expects us when we give our word or make an oath to keep our word, uh, not to be liars. And so... He only gives one reason for divorce, and that's found in Matthew 19.9 as well as other places, and that's when your spouse uh, is maritally unfaithful, sexually unfaithful to you. That's the only reason he gives for divorce. Other than that, God expects us as adult human beings that are married together to work out our differences when we have problems, get help when necessary, and to make our marriages work. He doesn't allow for divorce. He doesn't like it. He expects us to keep our commitment. You know, the the world, again, the world is going to be trying to teach our kids the opposite of that. The world is going to try to teach our kids, well, if you get married, it's it's not forever. If you get married and it doesn't work out, just Just get another one. Just get a divorce, a person, get another wife or husband. And, and of course, that's extremely, extremely common in in this world. That's the norm. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, again, the world is going to be trying to teach our kids one thing. We've got to teach them another about and, – and, again, I would broaden out this to the whole concept of family, mm-hmm. that God has, a, God has a plan for our families, for our, for our married life, for, for parents and children. God has – the word of God is all-encompassing. It, this sort of goes to the idea that the Bible is not just a book that regulates what we do for an hour when we come together on Sunday morning. The Bible is a book that gives us guidance for every detail of our lives, every aspect of our lives. And we, we, we need to get that across to our kids. The world is going to be trying to tell you something else. But here's what the Word of God says. Mm-hmm. And, and it, 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 we must stress the truth about divorce. Uh, Dwight says God does hate divorce, Malachi 2.16. Parents 
teach their children through getting divorced that divorce is okay. Kids look up to parents, and if it's okay for mom and dad to get divorced, then it must be okay for them if it doesn't work out. Matthew 19, 8, Moses permitted divorce because of the hardness of their hearts, but from the beginning, it was not so. Kent says, God hates divorce in that such is opposed to his plan for the good of humanity. Matthew 19, verses 1 through 6. Quickly, he says, I want my kids to know baptism is important. You know, 1 Peter three twenty one tells us, it says, baptism doth also now save us. And that's not the only thing we've got to do, but it is a part of God's plan of salvation. If we haven't been baptized to have our sins washed away, then we're not a saved person and we're not going to heaven. Yeah. So baptism is important. It's not the only thing, but it is a part of God's plan. And, and like the whole rest of God's plan, we can't ignore any part of it. We can't ignore baptism either. It, yes, I think that's exactly right. And I would take this point to, to make the broader point that there are commands in the Word of God. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not just a book that tells you how much God loves you and how, what a wonderful person you are. No, there, there are instructions there that must be obeyed. The Bible does delineate the love of God for us, and it's all unbelievable. It's overwhelmingly. It's almost inconceivable, uh, the love of God for us. But the Bible also has things in it that you must do. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the, again, the world is going to be trying to tell them, hey, God loves you. It's all good. And there's nothing really that you have to do. Don't worry about it. We got we got to tell them, learn what God says to do and do it and do it all of it, all of it. Exactly right. Uh, and the last one of this list of seven, sin is black, hell is hot, eternity is forever. You know, there's places in New Testament where it gives a description of hell. It talks about being cast out into the outer darkness. And a lot of us, if we've been someplace that would qualify as that type of darkness, I remember once when I was a kid. We went to Ruby Falls in, in East Tennessee, and we went down in the cave, and then we got down there to where the falls was, and they turned the lights out. And that's way back in the heart of the mountain. They wasn't a speck you, of light there you anywhere. You couldn't see you a could, hand in front of your face. You couldn't see anything. You could feel the darkness, as yeah. it talks about in one of the plagues on Egypt. And so, but that's how what that outer darkness like. So sin is black. Uh, it says hell is hot. You know, we read about the parable of uh, Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man was suffering. He he was so agonized by the heat and the flame, he said, that just one drop of water on the end of his tongue would have gave him such immense relief. And then as we talked about earlier, eternity is forever. Wherever we, want, we, we are, wherever we qualify ourselves to be in eternity, that's where we're going to be forever, and it's not ever going to change. Yeah, exactly right. Kent says it is true that sin is black, hell is hot, eternity is forever. The only two things worse than going to hell is, one, going there as a very sincere, lost, and morally upright and religious person. Or, and two, influencing others in general and our children particularly uh, in going to hell. So be careful don't, don't, just because you're morally upright or maybe practicing some form of religion, you could still be lost. It would be horrible to be lost because you didn't work careful about learning the commands of God. And he says it would also be terrible that we might, by our negligence or by our bad example, influence others in general and our children in particular and cause them to go to hell. Yeah. Terrible thing. Uh, Dwight says, uh, Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. Matthew 10.28 says, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 25.46 teaches us that some will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Teaching our children that this life is but a vapor and heaven and hell are forever helps them Realize the importance of how we should live for God. I agree, Kent, uh, uh, Dwight. Real quickly, and we're just out of time. But the last thing I put on the list for tonight's discussion is what other things would you have on your list of essential truths for your kids? Kent says the importance of understanding New Testament authority, making a proper application of such in our lives. Colossians 3, 17, 2 John 9. I think that really is important. You know, and, and probably it's implied in some of the things we've talked about, but really emphasizing Bible authority. That's so lacking mm-hmm. in the world today. People have a lacking of a knowledge of understanding of authority in general, but especially of Bible authority and how we derive that. Uh, it's important. The Bible gives us authority to do everything that we're supposed to be doing in our life, everything that's okay to do. Right. We can find principles in the Bible that teaches us about it. Uh, Dwight Michelle said the word of God gives us everything that pertains to life and godliness. That's as we talked about the Bible as the word of God over and over tonight. We need to understand that. 
that in that authority aspect, the, the Bible, the Word of God, authorizes us and gives us everything that we know need that pertains to life and godliness. In his email, Dwight said, the, the Word of God is truth. The people and places are real, not just stories that people made up. Uh, John seventeen seventeen. there is such a thing as right and wrong, even though the world and their friends say otherwise. James four seventeen says, What's, whosoever knows to do what is right and does, does it not, to him it is sin. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there's a way that would seem right unto a man, but the ways thereof are death. I would add that we need to teach our children the difference between the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. All good stuff, I think. Excellent stuff. So, there are things we want to teach our kids, and we better be teaching them, money. We, we we don't have forever to get this job done. Well, if we don't teach them, we can't count on anybody else to do it. That's exactly right. So, it's, it's you know, I, I, I sometimes say to the parents, because I needed to be told this when I was a young parent, you said you wanted kids. You got them now. Take care of them. Do the job. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Uh, uh, Kyle, any final thoughts? No, I think it's a good starting point. The list is, uh, I think, I think if you're a parent, you're probably asking yourself a million questions of things you want your kids to know yeah. on a daily basis. So this is good. It's a starting point, I guess, for parents. But it's a, it's a good lesson. Yeah, yeah we just, good. you know, I guess the takeaway, the big takeaway, I would take it. You got to be up on the wheel here. You yeah. got to be on your toes. You got to have eyes in the back of your head. You got to be. On guard 24-7. I mean, whatever trite expressions we could come up with. Yeah, you got to do it. you got to be doing this job. It is so critically important. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Lord willing, we'll be back next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Virtual Bible Study. Until that time, read and study your Bible. Live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.